Hi, this is independent macroeconomist Christian Takushi with your latest geopolitical update. Yesterday, I was briefing you on inflation and that key Western governments were uh, probably underreporting inflation quite significantly. Today, we're going to focus again on geopolitics and foreign policy. Um, uh, some keywords, U.S.-German relationships, relationship of um, the United States with the European Union, uh, the situation in Ukraine, and a certain rapprochement, um, uh, Germans would say Einnäherung, um, between uh, the United Kingdom and Germany. So, um, what is this about? Um, many people are seeing this last week, um, how different world leaders are trying to... Um, you know, project some power or influence over this crisis in Ukraine, uh, between Ukraine and Russia. Um, but uh, not many people are noticing what is happening here. Um, the, the influence of Great Britain, of the United Kingdom, is rising, is growing. And um, there is also a, a certain unease, a growing unease in the European Union they um, they didn't know that America was really uh, detached from them or that America changed its mind about Europe or that America was angry at Europe, in a way, at the European Union. Um, for many years, at least for four or five years, um, if not six, the view in, in Western Europe has been that all the problems that we have with the United States are mainly, mainly driven and explained by the presence of President Trump in the White House. So it's just Mr. Trump and some of his crazy, you know, this is what people thought here, some of his radical uh, advisors. But if you take Trump and his radical advisors, everything is fine between us. And I've been warning about that, that way before President Trump entered, you know, the White House, the Oval Office, things have begun to shift in the United States. The old guard of the generals, they grew up with, the, you know, with, with the Cold War and that uh, made their careers with NATO and within NATO. That old guard was basically uh, retiring and that the new younger generals uh, were questioning why are we risking everything to defend Europe that has no interest in defending us? Um, I was telling to people here in Europe that America uh, America doesn't hate the EU, but America is looking at the EU again with fresh eyes, asking good questions. And some of the questions is, hey, wait a moment, we have here a military alliance called NATO, uh, some 30 members, but 28 of them cannot defend themselves. I mean, 27 or 28 of them are not in a capability to even defend themselves. So how can we expect them even to defend us in the United States? And even some people in, in the UK started asking that question. I mean, we can defend Europe. Can Europe defend us? And, and the question was, this is a very asymmetric alliance. Does it, is it worth it? You know, there was these questions. It happened because the EU decided to dismantle its military forces some 20 years ago, 22 years ago already. And when you dismantle your military forces, but you still dream of having a military alliance, there, there is a problem here. There is a disconnect. You expect the United States to come and protect you, but you are not even in a capacity to protect the United States, not even your, yourself. So 
How should you be part of a healthy military alliance if you don't have a proper military and you don't have any deterrence? One nation stands out in the European context uh, with a different approach that was the UK. Uh, we have now this situation in the Ukraine and Russia and we see, we see this week, we saw this last week, how President Biden treated uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz. It was not good. I was, <laughs> I have criticized German foreign policy many times, but the way President Biden treated uh, Chancellor Scholz was not friendly, it wasn't polite, it was not respectful. He jumped in, he interjected many times, he basically, uh, you know, um, treated uh, Chancellor Scholz, um, you know, as a, you know, uh, as a junior partner. Um, and I was expecting his tone to be very harsh in the private meeting. Uh, but I was surprised that uh, President Biden would treat, um, you know, a foreign representative, a foreign president of such caliber. I mean, we're not talking about here a the president of a small South American or African Asian nation. We're talking about here about the, the, the most important leader probably of the European Union and in um, a country that in many ways can be regarded as even more successful than the United States. Um, that way President Biden treated Mr. Schultz says a lot. And I really invite you to watch it. There are videos on YouTube about that. Uh, I would invite you to watch it and pay attention to it because it speaks volumes about how Washington thinks of, of, of Europe, of Western Europe. And there is a lot of anger there, a lot of, um, um, you know, lack of patience now. Patience is running out. Um, and this is not something that started just two years ago. Five years ago, it started even, I would say, during the second term of President Obama. People in the U.S. are asking questions about Europe and they're saying, why does Europe make those mistakes? Why is Europe, um, you know, um, entering an alliance? Why is the EU entering an alliance with uh, uh, Iran? Why is the EU entering basically an economic alliance with China? Why is Europe, the EU, becoming solidly depending on Russian gas? Uh, these three nations I just mentioned happen to be, uh, you know, enemies of the United States or at least contenders of the United States. So if the EU is a real ally of the United States, they shouldn't be doing that, right? Or at least it should involve us in the dialogue. But these questions, these questions has been, have been hanging in the air for some 20, 10 or 13 years. And now they're showing. And they're showing during the Ukraine crisis, but it's got nothing to do with Ukraine. This is a lot that has happened here that uh, over the last 10, 13 years, it has led to increased, um, increased, I would say, irritation in Washington about the EU in general. And this, the and still, I believe this doesn't give an excuse to President Biden to treat the German chancellor the way he did. I believe that what President Biden did was not correct. I believe, honestly speaking, President Biden owes um, Mr. Um, chancellor Olaf Scholz an apology. He owes Germany an apology. 
whether he does it publicly or or privately, it's his own call. But I think that what he did was a mistake. What he did was a mistake, and it it may be a boomerang. It may it may actually it may not it may not it may backfire on Washington because Germany is not a weak nation. Um, Germany is is a powerful economy, and it may not have a big military. But it's just in the process to begin rebuilding its military. It's going to look for partners. They have a lot of money. The U.S. may have a sizable economy, but it lives way beyond its means. Way beyond its means. Uh, Germany is one of the very few Western economies that is not living beyond its means, that exports a lot, and that has um, quite important uh, surpluses especially in its exports, you know, and external trade. So Germany is a country that is rich and, um, and it's quite powerful too. And let's not forget one, one thing. It's one of these few Western nations that is quite welcome around the world uh, when it comes to technology transfer or someone helping them economically. So nobody looks out for Germany when they need to be protected, but it does play a role in, in many regions in, in the world. So by doing what uh, President Biden did, he has really offended um, Berlin. He has offended the German chancellor. And this is only going to accelerate something that I've been pointing out uh, before Brexit. I've believed since the year 2014, as many of you know, that Brexit would take place. And I've also believed that there is going to be a reemergence of the role of the UK in the world. It doesn't have to happen, but it's very likely. It's very likely that we will see a re-emergent Britain in the world, in part because of the mistakes the US is doing, in part because of the weakness of the US. And I'm not talking about the end of the US. A lot of people are talking about the end of the US dollar. A lot of economists talk about the end of the US dollar, about the, the, the US is down and out. I completely disagree with that. Uh, the U.S. is, is suffering uh, at the moment. It's uh, it's got serious problems. Has a terrible division internally. Um, it's making quite a few strategic mistakes, but uh, and so it's entering a cycle a cycle of weakness, and it is in this uh, patch of weakness uh, that Britain can enter that vacuum. The U.K. is now fully in the, is really independent. It has been rebuilding its military over the past 15, you could say even 20 years. It has a formidable, formidable nuclear deterrence with the renewal of its uh, CAST, C-A-S-T, submarine, nuclear submarine deterrence. There is always at any time of the day, 24-7, um, a British nuclear submarine ready to strike at any enemy that would harm British interest. And so someone does harm to the to to the united kingdom um or tries to destroy the united kingdom or hurt uh, the uk that nation could be attacked um by one of the submarines and nobody knows exactly where they are located so um that kind of deterrence is only something that the united states and russia have really some other countries have something similar but not at that technological level so at that level of uh, technology and ability to strike, to exercise a first strike or a second strike, nuclear, uh, I'm talking about nuclear, 
first strike or second strike, only the United States and Russia can really, really be uh, respected. So with Britain having this nuclear deterrence and also having now one or two, also under certain circumstances, two aircraft carrier strike groups, um, the UK also having traditionally a very strong, respected, formidable military, of course, it's much smaller than the US, but still a very respected military and the historical clout of having been a power, a superpower in the past, and being also a very close ally, probably the most strategic closest ally to the United States, that gives the UK a certain, um, I would say, influence in the world that it didn't have when it was part of the EU. While the UK was part of the EU, it was bound. It was like handcuffed. And it could only move uh, and maneuver within the confines and the permission of Brussels. And now the UK is free. And it's not only free, uh, it's also being free and acting independently at the time that it's having, I would say, to some extent, a resurgent military. And at a time when the United States is retreating from the world scene, at a time when the U.S. is being perceived as uh, in trouble, is being perceived as in decline, is being perceived as a little bit angry with some allies. And also, <laughs> let's put it this way, the U.S. is suffering some very serious internal division. And we saw a little bit of that this last week. President Biden is really quite frustrated, I would say, about the fate of most of his domestic policy uh, pushes. Only one, which is infrastructure bill, one of the big ones passed. All the other major bills by President Biden have failed. Uh, it's not always been his mistake. It's just a situation the U.S. is in. It's a situation in Capitol Hill. But the Democrats are about to lose the midterm elections. Americans are angry about inflation and a few other things and about to hand the House and the Congress, sorry, the House and the Senate to the Republicans. And there is nothing else really that President Biden can do domestically to turn it around. So um, actually President Biden needs an external crisis quite urgently. Wow. Um, some people may say, goodness, uh, 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 President Biden should thank God there is Ukraine crisis, right? So President Biden was actually playing tough and being exceedingly tough on Mr. Scholz to show strength um, in front of an American audience. I think President Biden was trying to, I would say, I don't want to say bully, but to abuse um, Chancellor, the German Chancellor Scholz a little bit to score some points with, um, uh, you know, with, um, with certain independents and some moderate conservatives. That's what I think he was trying to do this last week during the press conference. And um, I personally think that that didn't work very well. The way he did it um, was not very... Uh, balanced I think um, and I, I think that um, there was not successful that effort um, so the situation that I'm painting here is one where Germany 
um, is probably going to be quite happy to seek a closer cooperation with Britain. And it's already happened. We have already seen in recent years with, um, with the trouble between the US and the EU, the EU uh, also the trouble between the, the EU leaders and President Biden, and also uh, around the Ukraine, these disagreements, we saw that Berlin and London were having a much better report, a much better communication than Washington and Berlin or Washington and Brussels. So it is this Berlin-London connection or bridge that is working quite well in recent years and it's actually gathering momentum post-Brexit and with the Ukraine crisis now becoming, I would say, the most important relationship holding the West together. And this is something that I have not heard out there in the press, but in my independent assessment, it is the London-Berlin relationship that is holding NATO alliance together and that is holding the Western effort to contain Russia and contain China together. It is a relationship, I would say, um, characterized by pragmatism. Germans and British uh, and Brits can work very well together. I have said many times as an economist that both Britain and Germany are very complementary. If these two nations ever get together, <laughs> you know, everybody else would have to shudder or, you know, worry because they could be incredibly powerful. Um, they are complementary, and when they work together, they can be, um, as they are doing at the moment, they can be a source of stability and a source of strength, and they can actually convey a certain policy. I think there is enough common ground at the moment that Britain and Germany have. So if um, the U.S. is showing signs that they don't want to, you know, wait for Germany or they're willing to um, even push Germany aside, Germany is understandably going to seek protection from the British military, a certain protection. And Britain has the military power to help protect Germany. And I think there are obviously some economic interests uh, there that uh, would um, actually also, um, you know, make that uh, a, pretty, a pretty interesting proposition. I think it's a win-win situation. The Britain has the military that could help defend the EU, uh, and Germany has the economy, that the economic power that could make it an interesting client for for the UK. Now, Germany is not completely defenseless. Um, it's just begun to rebuild its military, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, it takes, depending on what you want to re rebuild, it takes 7 to 20 years to rebuild the military. It doesn't happen overnight. It took the EU 22 years to dismantle its armed forces. It's going to take a few years to rebuild it. And during that intervening time, Germany is going to be defenseless and exposed and vulnerable. That's the problem that we have in the European Union. Um, and this is what is attracting offensive or assertive nations like Turkey, Russia, China, uh, even Iran, right, to deal with Europe, to deal... Uh, and to to deal with Europe because Europe is actually a little bit defenseless, uh, defenseless, vulnerable. Yes. So this is actually um, the summary. Things are shifting and are happening. Um, there is no change of direction. I would say only there is only acceleration. 
um, the United States being perceived as divided and weak and um, uh, and forcing its way in Europe, um, trying to force France and Germany to uh, take a much tougher stance on, on Russia in, in, in Ukraine. Um, but, you know, France and Germany having different interests. Uh, they are much closer to Russia. <laughs> Both of them have invaded Russia in the past with, with tragic results. Um, uh, France and Germany have a totally different history uh, in, res in regards to Russia. And not only that, they're both the, um, the nations that are trying to, um, you know, bring peace to the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So um, being them, being the both French and Germans kind of guarantors to that peace process, it's not very easy for them to start sending weapons to one of them. Uh, and of course, and I don't, I don't want to say that, that Ukraine shouldn't be protected and defended here, but um, the nations that are trying to, to, to actually to help Ukraine have to all look at their own at their own interests, at their own national interests, and see what makes sense for them. And while Britain and the United States can easily send weapons to Ukraine, I personally think that is understandable why France and Germany cannot do that. Or they have to give other type of help. Maybe they send helmets, maybe they send food, maybe they send doctors. They, um, they, they, they will send a lot of money. In Germany, sends most of the money, I would say. Uh, so... It is understandable, and I think this is a position that Washington has to be able to understand. Um, if President Biden doesn't show interest to understand that, he can come across as bullying uh, Berlin, bullying the German Chancellor. And he has chosen very wrongly. And this is why I believe that what he did this week with uh, Chancellor Scholz was, was terrible, was bad, and he, dis he, he has to apologize. Mr. Scholz is quite a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, the biggest friend of Mr. Scholz. I, 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 I think he's, uh, um, I've criticized him in, in the past, but uh, Mr. Scholz is a solid politician. He's a balanced gentleman. He is a gentleman. He's a person that uh, doesn't like to show off. And he is a leader that deserves really respect. We're talking about a leader that um, uh, has never had a major scandal in his life. Is a person that uh, chooses his words very carefully. Is a person that doesn't use uh, profanities. Is a person that doesn't, you know, you know, speak uh, extreme, you know, extreme or radical things. Is a person that um, that behaves, I would say, um, in a low-key, discreet, balanced, careful manner. And his speech is similar. He is actually a, a, a cautious speaker, and. Many people don't know Mr. Schultz. And if they see Mr. Schultz for the first time there in the press room in the White House this week, they may think that President Biden has completely dominated Schultz and that Schultz is, um, is scared or afraid and maybe uh, has been really bullied or something like that in the private meeting, which probably was not the case. So I think... I think President Biden should have been advised before he did that. He should have gotten some advice. Um, you can you can do that. You can behave like that if you just had a private meeting with President Trump or Mr. Trump, who can handle that. And everybody knows so how Trump is in his character and behavior. 
people are also more acquainted with Monsieur Macron, are more acquainted with uh, Xi Jinping, uh, they're more acquainted with uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, but very few people and and the global audience or the U.S. audience are, are really acquainted with the character of Mr. Schultz. So I, I believe that um, there was quite a lot of mistakes done this past week in Washington. And those mistakes, for good or bad, are just going to strengthen this, um, this uh, silent but important alliance that is growing between Germany and the UK. And I say it's a silent alliance because officially, officially, Berlin should follow the lead of Brussels, the EU, in foreign policy. But, uh, well, officially, formally, that should be the way. But, you know, you and I know that uh, (laughs) the weight of Brussels uh, cannot match the weight of Paris or Berlin. I mean, uh, I, I have to say, de facto, Paris and Berlin can speak for themselves if they want to. They don't really need to be afraid of Brussels, but they have to do it in a cautious manner. And very often they also have to at least pretend that um, they are following the rules and the advice and the guidance of Brussels, right, of the EU uh, foreign policy leader. Um, Having said that, there is a de facto... um, bridge and relationship um, between London and Berlin that is getting stronger. And I think it's a relationship that is benefiting um, Western Europe and the world or the Western world in general. And um, not just the Western world, I would think the, um, um, the whole world in general, because these are two nations that um, have some things in common, um, have reasons to respect one another, uh, are uh, have many things in common, as I said, but also are different and they're very complementary. So one is a, a global geopolitical power. Britain is a global geopolitical power, also a military power. Uh, but um, Germany is a, is a global economic power and, and very respected in terms of technology out there. So there's, of course, more to say about these two nations, but I think that the suffices for the, for the time being. Uh, please pay attention. There is something going on between Berlin and London. I think it's something positive, but you will see many efforts out there to try to divide these these two countries. This is not um, the first time these two nations are trying to work together. Um, Every time they try to do that, they are sabotaged and attacked and uh, forced to to choose sides. Um, And I understand many neighbors and other countries in the world are afraid of too strong a relationship between Britain and Germany. So um, when these two nations work together, they've learned to do it very carefully. And that also makes sense. They do it carefully, uh, quietly, so that it doesn't, um, you know, raise, um, how should I say, suspect, uh, you know, fears in other countries. Thank you so much for your kind attention. This has been a geopolitical update. Christian Tekrishi, your independent geopolitical and macroeconomic um, analyst. Thank you.